0: Now, Les swings and he crushes it. Left center field. Warning track. Oh, goodbye.
1: Today's episode of the WAC podcast is presented by Hercules Tires. Now
2: here's your host, Eric Danner.
1: Welcome to the WAC podcast. My name is Eric Danner. Another big show planned for you today. We're going to talk with Paul Coro, who is the senior writer and editor for gculopes.com. And HAVE A LOT TO TALK ABOUT GCU-WISE. WE HAVE A NEW MEN'S BASKETBALL COACH and BRYCE DREW. GOING TO HAVE A NEW WOMEN'S BASKETBALL COACH AS WELL. AND WE'RE GOING TO TALK SOME SPRING SPORTS, ALL KINDS OF STUFF WITH PAUL CORO LATER IN THE SHOW. WE'RE ALSO GOING TO TALK WITH Marlon EDGE, WHO WORKS FOR THE WAC. HE IS OUR ASSOCIATE COMMISSIONER OF COMPLIANCE AND GOVERNANCE. TALK ABOUT THE NCAA RULING, GIVING SENIORS AND OTHER ATHLETES ANOTHER YEAR OF ELIGIBILITY FOR SPRING SPORTS AND WHAT KIND OF IMPACT THAT MIGHT HAVE. BUT uh, FIRST, we're going to talk with Rachel Hill, who is the on-air talent and broadcasting coordinator for the Western Athletic Conference. Rachel, how are you doing today?
2: Good, Eric. How are you? I'm
1: doing great, Rachel. Hey, uh, all things considered, again, we want to make sure our listening audience out there staying safe and healthy in this uh, uncertain times here. Rachel, did you have a uh, anything to do this weekend i know it's it's been fantastic weather here in colorado where re- we record the show i'm in colorado springs you're in the denver area practicing social distancing here but what uh what kind of things have you got going on
2: Yeah, uh, not a whole lot, to be honest. It has been beautiful weather, which is nice as a dog mom. I've been able to take my dog out um, and just be able to go outside, throw the frisbee, go and walk. So it's been great to do that. I know we're supposed to get a little bit of bad weather here a little later in the week, so I'm kind of bummed about that. However, uh, I have just been, you know, kind of coming up with some, some creative ideas. I launched my own podcast yeah. after doing this podcast last week. I loved it so much. I was like, this is the perfect time. So it's about women in sports. It's called sports and stilettos. Uh, just talking to different like talent or talent in the broadcasting industry. Hopefully I can get into some behind the camera people as well, uh, here in the upcoming future. But yeah, it's been great. And, you know, kind of learning all of the ins and out of doing a podcast, like, you know, Eric, just trying to figure out. It all out. It kind of takes up a little bit of your time.
1: It's one of the, I guess, bonuses. I mean, you don't want to say anything's better because of of what's happened here, but it does uh, make everyone kind of think about their jobs a little bit differently. What can I do from home? What are some things I, I can think of differently? And and the podcast was one of those. And and your first guest, Rachel Jordan Angeli, who's done a uh, wax soccer since before I was in the league, and and one of the few play by play female voices. In, in soccer, especially, and you had her as your first guest.
2: I did, yeah. I wanted to have somebody that I obviously knew outside of just uh, like watching them on social media, on Twitter, Instagram. And I know Jordan, obviously, from the WAC soccer tournaments. Uh, she's great. She's fantastic. She's been a huge role model for me throughout this entire process. Uh, so it was nice to sit and talk to her. We had an hour-long conversation. And to be honest, we probably could have talked <laughs> for another hour. Uh, she's great. She started up her new job with Columbus Crew SC, uh, but she actually came home once this coronavirus stuff all started happening so it was great to sit and chat with her for a little bit
1: yeah that's uh and you want to check that actually on spotify and uh we're we're happy to announce the whack podcast will now be on spotify thanks to rachel v hill and and her her great uh brain and in terms of figuring that out so we're going to be on soundcloud and spotify to start with maybe some other formats as we go along here so we're excited about that Now, even though we're in this this quarantine phase, Rachel, there's still a lot of news happening around the Western Athletic Conference. Last week, uh, Tarleton State announcing they have a new men's basketball coach. And for folks who might not be familiar with Tarleton, they're going to be in the WAC next year. They're based in Stephenville, Texas, and uh, they'll be uh, transitioning from Division II. They they hired a big name, Billy Gillespie, a guy who's been the head coach of the University of Kentucky at Texas A&M. At Texas Tech, uh, at UTEP, he is a former WAC coach, and this is uh, exciting for for us in the league that uh, Tarleton may be a team that a lot of people aren't familiar with. They're coming in uh, making a splash.
2: Yeah, I was looking at his resume a little bit. Huge names, like you mentioned, he's done a lot at those schools too. And so it'll be interesting to see. I know he left uh, Tech in 2012 due to health concerns, and then he went to Ranger College, which was actually his alma mater. Um, and then he left again because of health concerns. So we hope Coach is doing well, and we're very excited to see him back and see his playing style.
1: Elon Reisman's the athletic director there at Tarleton State. Long time men's basketball coach in uh, the AD now. And I'm sure Lon and, uh, and Billy probably go back a long ways as Lon was coaching in Texas. And Lon, actually, if you get the chance, Rachel, to see the 30 for 30 on Dennis Rodman, which um, was maybe a couple months ago when it first came out. And the the story of Dennis Rodman, how he got to the NBA, he didn't play in high school. He was like 5'11", grew to be 6'8", played a semester at a junior college, and he was seen by a, a a recruiter at Southeast Oklahoma State, and liked him so much he went to his house and Dennis locked himself in his room, and the coach knocked on the door and he was able to get in there and talk to him, convince him to go in Southeast Oklahoma. That coach was Lon Reisman, who's now the athletic director at Tarleton State. So, uh, I w- I was watching that uh, a few months ago and I was like, hey, wait wait a second, I've I've talked to that guy. So one of those uh, small world things, but. It'll be interesting to see uh, how Tarleton State uh, jumps right into the whack because definitely with Billy Gillespie, they're they're looking at uh, at making some noise right away.
2: Yeah, I mean it's, it's a very exciting hire for sure, and I will definitely check out that thirty for thirty. Um, I've got quite a bit of free time on my hands nowadays, <laughs> so I'll definitely add it into my schedule. But I think it's going to be a very interesting basketball season next year too, especially with GCU's new hire and now with them getting a women's coach too whoever that may be, I think it's going to be a very interesting basketball season next year. And of course ours got cut short this year, but that just means we can be even a little bit more excited for next year's.
1: Yeah. We had a chance to visit, or I had a chance to visit with Paul Coro uh, from gculopes.com. And and we talked about uh, Bryce Drury had a chance to sit down with Bryce Drury even during this uh, phase, right before everything got locked down pretty much. And, and we talked about, uh, which will be later in the show, uh, women's basketball coaching hire that'll be made at GCU as well. Nicole Powell uh, announcing last week she's leaving the Lopes after, I believe, three years. Uh, Rachel at at GCU, a team pick near the bottom of the league last year, finished near the top of the league uh, this year, and she goes to UC Riverside. So that could be a pretty attractive job for whoever uh, winds up taking the job at GCU.
2: Yeah, Coach Powell had a bounce back season this year, too uh so i it was very surprising when i saw the tweet that she was leaving i was shocked i remember immediately texting you eric and i sent yeah. it to you and i was like holy smokes i did not ever expect that um so best of luck to coach powell in her future but it'll be very interesting to see who gcu brings in you're right very attractive job uh gcu is a great school been pretty dominant in the whack i would say throughout the last couple of years so it's a great job opportunity, opportunity.
1: Yeah, and talking to Paul, he would not be surprised that they name a head coach by the time this show airs on Tuesday. So it's happening that fast. GCU, of course, moved very quickly after Dan Marley, after he was uh, dismissed and brought in Bryce Drew just a few days later. So they want to move pretty quickly on this one to keep uh, see who they're keeping in. Getting a staff together and, and seeing, you know, if there is transfers coming in, get the re- recruiting, figuring out who who they want to go after, those kind of things. So it's pretty imperative that they get a new head coach sooner rather than later. And Rachel, you had a chance last week uh, to sit down and and talk with uh, one of the best players in the WAC uh, men's basketball uh, this past year, traveling queen in uh, WAC All Access, uh, a live thing you did on uh, Instagram. T- tell us a little bit about. Uh, your conversation with trev queen
2: yeah trev is great uh i obviously know him just from talking to him post games um i actually he's one of a good friends of like a couple of my friends too so trev was great he uh he actually was in maryland he went home after the basketball tournament went to maryland and then had to fly back to las cruces mm. And he told me that the airports was like a ghost town. Everybody had their own row. There was nobody there. It took him like two minutes to get through security. But Trev was great. Uh, his, a lot of his family jumped on the Instagram live as well. So it was cool to see them all hop on to say hello. We got a ton of questions and we're hoping to continue doing these wackal Access on Instagram live. It's very laid back, super chill. It's just kind of sitting down with a friend and being able to talk and have people ask questions too, which is an interesting like portion to that since you can ask questions directly on there. So we took like 10 minutes at the very end of the interview for people to ask questions. And actually one of the funniest parts was we lost Trev due to internet connection for about three minutes or so. And, you know, I wasn't sure if he was going to get back. Well, Gia Pack was online and she was asking (laughs) questions and everyone was like, throw Gia on there until we get Trev back. And just, it was really fun to see the interaction between players, between fans and everybody. So it was a lot of fun to sit and talk with Trev though.
1: And then I saw you tried to get Johnny McCants to come on as well.
2: Yeah. Johnny hopped on too. And they were all cracking jokes in the comments. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't know if he, Trev didn't see the notification. It didn't pop up on my phone, but it would have been very entertaining if we would have had both Trev and Johnny McCants on there.
1: And the technology to be able to do this on Instagram live and I mean, these things weren't, weren't available a few years ago, so you're doing a great job with that, Rachel, and, and keep up the good work with that. I know you're working on getting a, another uh, guest this week at, at the point we're recording this. You're still, uh, as we say in the business, efforting that interview
2: yeah so hopefully we'll get that confirmed soon uh you know we don't know what everybody else has going on in their personal lives right now too and um a lot of them are you know trying to be with family during this time too so hopefully we're able to get some on since they hopefully fingers crossed do have some free time but again i just want to be very cautious of the requests i 'm asking because it is a very serious time in the world,
1: sure, as talking with Rachel V. Hill and we have a wacatology uh, finishing up this week as well uh, again, by the time uh, this hits the air we'll we'll know the champion in our in our men 's wackatology bracket, which is the two thousand and twenty New Mexico state man against the 1998 Utah Utes and this has been a fun project, Rachel, and hopefully uh, people uh, have been voting and paying attention to it and, and getting a sense of some of the history that we've had in the Western athletic conference. But of course the uh, 2020 men with traveling queen and Johnny McCants and Jabari Rice and Yvonne Uriko Achea, among others, uh, taking on 1998 Utah, which had Andre Miller and Michael Doliak and Hannah Matola, coached by Rick Majerus. Uh, they, they've they both been uh, getting some pretty good uh, fan support. Of course, uh, New Mexico State's still a member of, of the WAC, but uh, Utah's been coming in pretty strong too.
2: Yeah, they have. It'll be interesting to see both teams, great teams. Uh Different styles of play, too, I would say, you know, being able to now watch this New Mexico State team and know how just like how fiery their offense is. This is. One of the things I asked Trev was about their final game of the season against CBU regular season was how it turned into quite a dunk contest. But I feel like uh, that 1990 team was a lot of defense.
1: Yeah. And I talked to Adam Young last week on the podcast and I presented him with the question, was this the best New Mexico State team he's seen play? And and he was a little hesitant there because they've had some really good teams of the past few years. And the answer he did give was talking to Chris Jans that defensively, this New Mexico State team was a lot better than than people thought. And and you look at even their last game against uh, California Baptist, in which they won 83 to, to 50, I believe was the final score only giving up 50 points to that powerful CBU team. And I think they only shot like 28% from the field. CBU did that final game. So that was the part that Chris Jans really liked about this team is how good they were defensively.
2: Uh, I agree too. I think last week, I know we talked about how far they could have gone in the NCAA tournament. And I do agree that they, they could have won a couple games this year and it's a bummer. We don't get to see it. And I asked Trev that same question, how far he thinks this team would have gone. He told me Sweet 16. However, he did say that if they would have made it to the Sweet 16, there was no stopping this team. He said that Coach Jans and this entire squad, they all believe in each other and that they just would have kept going. They just wanted to win.
1: And it's really unfortunate, especially uh, with those seniors. And they had such good chemistry, too. And they were so good uh, the past few years. On the women's side, I I don't know what you're going to do here, Rachel. We got the 2017 Mexico State women against the 1999 Colorado State Rams.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that is brutal. Oh my gosh! Especially it's like so sentimental. Obviously, CSU being my alma mater, but then my first year in the WAC was really the 2017.
1: Yeah, right? the, yeah. seventeen, eighteen. So it was, it was the this is yep. the 1617 team. So the year before you got there.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah. But a lot so of the same
1: players, like, Giapack, Brooke Salas were both Salas, on that team. Yeah. yeah,
2: I was gonna say, man, Ugh, that's hard, <laughs> but. Especially, too, because CSU is obviously not in, but still my alma mater. So that's a really hard toss-up. I don't know if I can vote on that one.
1: Well, the 99 Rams, uh, led by Becky Hammond, uh, all-time leading scorer in the history of the LAC. Anecdotally, I I actually had a chance to interview Becky Hammond back when I was a reporter in Cheyenne, Wyoming in 1996, and Becky was a freshman at at Colorado State. and We got a request from our sister station in Rapid City, South Dakota, which is Becky's hometown wanted me to, to do an interview with her, see how she was doing her freshman year because she really came on the scene right away and obviously being the all-time leading scorer, you know, was was the player, uh, the go-to player right away from her freshman year through her senior year and was just a a nice kid. I mean, she was 18 years old back then and, and to see what she's gone on to uh, in terms of playing in the WNBA and her coaching now in the NBA and there's still uh, a pretty good belief that Becky is going to wind up being the first female NBA head coach ever to be.
2: Yeah, uh, which, I mean, so deserving. I think after listening to a lot of podcasts and interviews, the way players talk about Becky and the way she handles herself, I think, undoubtedly, she could totally handle the team and the different personalities that come with it. Um It just seems like the players have so much respect, and then obviously all the coaches too. It seems like they just respect her and her level of play and her experience as well.
1: That 2017 New Mexico State women's team, uh, as we mentioned, had Brooke Salas-Giapak, who's a freshman. Salas was a sophomore. Mariah Mack was actually the WAC player of the year that season. She was a senior. They also had Brianna Freeman, who had been a WAC player of the year in a previous season, said... Uh, Three players who wound up being WAC player of the year. Gia, believe it or not, uh, was never a WAC player of the year, but was three time first team all WAC. So really one of the most talented teams in recent memory, especially Mark Track was the head coach, uh, wound up going on to USC. And that team, uh, they they were a missed seed, I think, in the NCAA tournament. They were a 15 seed, had to play Stanford in the first round. Gave them all they could handle, as I recall. It was a close game throughout, and then Stanford kind of pulled away at the end. That was the Eric, Erica McCall Stanford team, the, the daughter of Greg McCall at uh, CSU Bakersfield. So there's a lot of whack ties there. But uh, it'd be it'd be fun to see if we could get these actual whackatology games played. Maybe we need to make a video game or something, Rachel
2: right actually and you mentioned gia i think it, this year too would have been interesting if she hadn't got hurt to see if she would have been in the run for player of the year too uh because gia is a fantastic player and she's going to go on to have an incredible career too so uh but yeah could you imagine if we could make these into video games <laughs> maybe we just need to d- like dig up the archives and play them too. do something <laughs>
1: We're talking with Rachel Veal. Rachel, last thing I want to talk to you about, the uh, NCAA granting those those spring sports we talked a little bit about, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about it uh, with Marlon Edge here in our next segment. And and it'll be uh, pretty exciting to see what happens uh, next year with, uh, you know, seniors coming back. If, uh, you know, an incoming class of freshmen, which could be bigger than normal, it's it's going to be a lot up in the air here.
2: Yeah, I think one of the most interesting points is that it's kind of up to the coach's decision on if uh, they want to keep the seniors around. Like the senior can choose to come back, but if the coach is really excited about some of the younger players, then the senior may not be able to come back. So I think it's kind of a sticky situation. However, at the same time, that could happen regardless if a senior wanted to come back or like a graduate student wanted to come back. So I think it's a very interesting um, time. I. feel for Marlon and Katie in our office with all the compliance issues that are going to come about um, for the next upcoming months. Uh, but I know everybody, including everybody at the NCAA is trying just to do their best to make it fair for everybody. And my heart also goes out to a lot of the high school seniors that are now trying to figure it out and juniors too. Cause yeah. Who knows what's going to happen in the future except like nothing like this has ever happened before with the coronavirus. So my heart goes out to all of them.
1: Well, and how many high school seniors, maybe have a great senior year and then they catch the eye of a of a coach or a scout from a school and then they get a scholarship. They didn't have that opportunity this year. So everything is going to be based on what they did their junior year or, or over the summer. And then the juniors this year in high school didn't have that chance to, to show what they could do. So they're going to be behind the curve a little bit because now coaches maybe won't know who they are. So yeah, it's going to really uh, present a lot of challenges when it comes to uh, figuring out the, uh, the high school kids and when they can go on. And and the other part is what's going to happen, uh, like you mentioned, if, if a senior, you know, maybe they had signed a freshman, they weren't going to get a lot of playing time, are they going to be allowed to transfer? Those are some of the questions uh, that I can have with uh, Marlon Edge here coming up in the next segment. So you want to have, make sure to stick around for that.
2: Yeah, definitely will because I have so many questions. You know, you read all about it in the like on Twitter um, throughout the news and you're like, well, what happens if this happens? What happens if this happens? So I'll definitely be excited to hear Marlon's point of view from it as well.
1: Well, Rachel, I want to thank you for taking some time out. Uh, time does fly when, when we get to chatting here. and
2: I know, it does. I always appreciate talking with you, Eric. I miss being in the office with everybody.
1: I know, I do too. So that is uh, Rachel V. Hill, the talent, on-air talent, broadcast coordinator for the Western Athletic Conference coming up next. I'm going to talk to Marlon Edge about some of those NCAA issues uh, with another year of eligibility for spring sports athletes. You're listening to the WAC Podcast.
2: We would like to thank our partners, Hercules Tires, Ticket Smarter, and Adidas.
1: Now, back to the WAC Podcast. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. My name is Eric Danner, a reminder that Ticket Smarter is the smarter way to buy tickets to live events. If you're looking for an experience and want to enjoy the power and excitement of all the best sports, concerts, and theater events, visit TicketSmarter.com and download the app today. Don't miss out. Smart fans, start at TicketSmarter.com. Dot .com of course once we get through this uh coronavirus and sheltering in place uh, hopefully uh, sooner rather than later we can get out to some events and some uh, athletic uh, contest start up and uh, now we want to bring in on the whack podcast our next guest associate commissioner of compliance and governance Marlon Edge Marlon how you doing today
0: I'm doing well Eric how you doing
1: I'm doing great Marlon hey uh, we uh, are, I'm recording the show. We're, we're doing the shelter-in-place. We're working uh, from home. But uh, the two of us, we, we actually live in Colorado Springs, a good hour outside of where the WAC office is in Denver. So how has how the, uh, the shelter-in-place uh, been for you the past couple of weeks?
0: Well, well, Eric, I, I'll tell you this. This is unlike anything I and uh, you know pretty much everybody else around the world uh, has ever dealt with. And, uh, you know, first of all, I just want to say that my heart goes out to those who've been suffering from and passed away from uh, COVID-19 and hope that something can happen real soon to, to, to get us back to some normalcy. Um, but, but, but first off, you know, in, in a situation like this, again, unlike anything we've ever dealt with before, uh, I'm just making sure that my family is, is staying safe and uh, adhering to the current state-imposed lockdown and everything that has that, that, that goes in with that, right? So, um, you know, while, while, while doing that, it is, you know, also trying to keep our uh, regular schedules and try to maintain some normalcy. So we're getting up at the same time in the morning and try to adhere to our meal schedules and, and obviously our work schedules, me and my wife, we'll workout schedules and everything else in that regard. So it's just really, um, again, try to maintain that normalcy. Uh, my wife is a high school teacher, so she's working um, online. Um, and my daughter, who's, who's in third grade, she's uh, going to school online. So it's just trying to keep everything as normal as possible uh, in, this, in this time. So, but I'm really thankful that my family uh, is, is safe and healthy. Uh, my wife's family here in Colorado Springs and my family uh, in San Diego and, and and the rest of California. So uh, that's you know first and foremost, they're 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 safe, they're healthy. So I'm I'm good there. Now, having said all that, we still have work to do, right? We do. Um, you know you know even though there's no 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 more events going on, no more championships uh, in the conference or or NCAA wide. Um, you know, working from home uh, mostly. Um, you know, staying busy with, with constant uh, conference calls, conference-wide, uh, NCAA-wide conference calls and, and, and other meetings, um, and just trying to keep our, our, our membership, the, the, the WAC membership, uh, updated on what's going on and answering questions and, and making sure that everything is good on, on their end uh, with the student-athletes as well. So staying busy, and, that, and that's, a, that, that's a good thing but uh you know just those 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 are the things that are keeping me busy um you know these days
1: yeah yeah it's it's keeping us all busy marlon edge is our guest and marlon uh, a big reason we wanted to have you on this week is the ncaa <coughs> d1 council decision last week on, on spring sports athletes to grant them another year of eligibility i know a lot of people have questions maybe have heard some different things so wanted to get some clarification from you on that so this this pertains just to spring sports athletes, correct? But it does, uh, it, it's not just seniors. Is that right?
0: That is correct. That is correct. Uh, what, 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 there are certain ones that, that uh, in, involve all spring sports student-athletes. And then, uh, again, those uh, student-athletes that uh, would have exhausted the eligibility at the end of this academic year. Uh, so we'll, we'll go ahead and get into that here in uh, in, in just a second.
1: Now, the the sport that probably has the biggest impact on obviously all spring sports but the sport of baseball where they have uh, the major league baseball draft typically is 40 rounds and in a typical yes. year in the in the western athletic conference well somewhere 15 to 20 players drafted and, and sometimes they'll they'll leave after their junior year it's a little different than football or or uh basketball where uh when when they can get drafted, they don't have to declare themselves. It's like after your junior year of eligibility, you can be drafted, and then you can decide, mm-hmm. okay, do I want to sign? Do I want to go back to school? Uh, all those good things. Now, the MLB is saying that they're going to reduce their draft this year likely to five or ten rounds. So from 40 to five or ten Obviously, a lot of college students or college student athletes aren't going to be drafted that might have normally been drafted, and a lot of high school students because that's part of the Major League Baseball draft. You can get drafted straight out of high school, and there's a lot of high school kids that get drafted to the MLB. and And instead of going to play pro baseball this year, maybe they'll be looking at going to college next year. So uh, th- there's going to be some additional uh, spots on the that uh, mm-hmm. teams can have. Can you explain that to us?
0: Yeah, sure. So, so again, going back, uh, you know, to, to to what you're saying about the Major League Baseball draft, uh, you know, due to COVID nineteen, there's going to be some major changes. Uh, you know, a, a, as a result of shortening that draft from the normal 40 rounds to uh, the five to 10 rounds that, um, you know, the, the the MLB is proposing right now. So, again, as you said, you know, there'll be more <clears throat> high school prospects who will now be going to college. Uh, those college juniors who would be eligible for the for the Major League Baseball draft uh, at the completion of their junior years uh, mm-hmm. may now opt to stay for at least one more year. Right. And then and then and then also uh, a number of those seniors who uh, lost their final year of eligibility due to COVID nineteen might be coming back uh, for one more season. So uh, in total, you know, there will potentially be. Um, over 1,000 young men who who will not be drafted and mm-hmm. uh you know the only other recourse may be to to enroll in college or 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 uh, or remain in college you know uh, for for, uh, for the next year for the spring 2020 uh 2021 excuse me um academic year right so um and and, and again you know kind of going back to your to your first question on on the division one councils, uh, decisions uh, again. Uh, last week, the Division One Council uh, made some some major decisions related to spring sports and spring sports student athletes. Um, you know, moving forward. So, really, it, it goes kind of there's kind of four four pieces to that, right? So, uh, the first is that the Division One Council granted institutions uh, the authority to self apply of competition waivers for all spring sports student athletes. Uh, who competed during the 2019-20 academic year and uh, were eligible for competition in the 2019-20 academic year. Now, again, this one is for all spring sports student-athletes. So the second part, the second part to this is that the Division I Council also granted institutions the authority to uh, self-apply extensions of eligibility for student-athletes who were eligible for competition during the spring 2020 uh, term. So, Again, um, all spring sports, offspring sports student athletes uh, who meet the criteria will be eligible to um, take advantage of 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 what the what the NCAA has granted uh, their institutions to uh, to 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 do for them, right? So, um, and, and and the rationale behind the first two is is that uh, uh, the NCAA has determined that most of the spring sports student athletes would have met. Uh, existing criteria for waivers of both situations,
2: hmm.
0: and uh, granting the institutions the authority to self apply uh, reduces the bureaucracy, right? So, uh, i.e., it reduces the number of waivers the NCAA would have to consider <laughs> right. if they if they if they didn't take any action on it. So, a little bit of the NCAA looking out for themselves uh, while also granting institutions the authority. Uh, to 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 bring back the spring student athlete to seasons who were affected due to uh, COVID nineteen.
1: Now, one of the questions in, in reading through this, Marlon, is if if you're a senior and you wanted to potentially transfer, um, mm-hmm. is is that allowed under this uh, new uh, rule from the NCAA?
0: Right. Well, well, the intent for, uh, from the NCAA was to uh, make it for student athletes who return to their same institution. But as we all know, there's going to be a a level of uh, student athletes who are going to want to transfer. And what the NCAA has said there is that if you do transfer, uh, you will be subject to the normal uh, NCAA rules in regards to transfers um, and eligibility and uh, also financial aid. Now, they also put in there that uh, any waivers could be uh, I guess, considered on, on a case-by-case basis. So there may be some chance of relief there. But if you do decide to transfer, uh, you'll be subject to uh, the normal NCAA policies in
1: that regard. We're talking with Marlon Edge, Associate Commissioner, Western Athletic Conference of Compliance and Governance. And Marlon, in our prior segment, talking to Rachel V. Hill, and, and she had heard a few things and just wanted to get it straight with you in in terms of if a student-athlete's coming back or wants to come back, what uh, what what if the coach? What if the school decides? Hey, uh, we we don't want to have that particular student athlete back. I know this this happens normally, um, but with this new uh, guidance from the NCAA, uh, what what uh, what does it look like for next year in in terms of these spring sport athletes? Do do the coaches say um, if somebody wants to come back, or do, do they have to have uh, the blessing of the coach as well?
0: Yes, and and again, you know, the Division One Council in their decision. Uh, they granted the institutions the authority uh, to, to sort of make those decisions, right? So um, th- that's going to lead to, to, to tough conversations and some tough decisions here because for various reasons, uh, you know, uh, student-athletes, uh, you know, or excuse me, coaches might, you know, uh, uh, not want to bring back a, a, a student-athlete. For whatever reason that may be, so the NCAA, uh, through the D through one the Council, they um, they grant the institutions to the authorities to make those decisions. So that is a possibility,
1: yes. Now, in terms of uh, what else we we might be looking at here, Marlon, uh, one of the things that's usually happening right now in terms of recruiting, um, what what kind of rules are there now that since. You know people aren't uh, people are sheltering in place, they're not supposed to be traveling, not supposed to be uh, you know visiting people in their homes, those kind of things. How has that changed? Uh, and, and if you could kind of clue us in uh, on what exactly the dead period means?
0: Right. well, uh, last week, the, the Division One Council Coordination Committee um, adopted emergency mm-hmm. legislation to extend uh, what is termed as the uh, temporary recruiting dead period for all sports. Uh, through at least May 31st. And originally, that dead period was supposed to go until uh, April 15th. But uh, based on uh, uh, the NCAA's um, uh, guidance, along with the current federal uh, government's uh, guidance, uh, the recommendation was to extend that temporary dead period to uh, May 31st. Now, when we talk about a dead period, you have uh, – you know, recruiting activity, uh, you know, that is that is legislated within the NCAA. And, uh, you know, you have certain periods, you have um, recruiting periods, you have contact periods, evaluation periods, and the, and the like, right? So what a day period is, is uh, during a day period, it is not permissible to uh, make in-person contact with a prospective student athlete on or off campus, or to permit, uh, unofficial visits or official visits to uh, to an institution's campus. Uh, however, written communication and telephone calls are still permitted during that time. So that's what really a, a, a dead period is. And um, it, but you know, as as you know, at, at this time, even with COVID nineteen uh, still going on, uh, you know, there's still uh, you know, coaches are still going to want to have contact with 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 their student athletes, or excuse me, prospective student athletes, and um, you know keep that kind of recruiting process still going. So what the NCAA has done was was they've released a a question and answer document that provides guidance on what institutions can and can't do, recruiting wise, in lieu of uh, the in person visits that are now uh, not permissible. Uh, due to the temporary day
1: period. Mm. Talking with Marlon Edge and Marlon, uh, another thing with the spring sports and maybe you already touched on it was the number of scholarships. And now that uh, you're going to have potentially seniors coming back next year and also an incoming group of freshmen, you're going to have potentially more people that are on a team. Uh, what kind of uh, rules has the NCAA put in place to maybe help in, in that transition?
0: Right so you know what 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 it is there there's no squad limits uh that the NCAA has you can have as many people on your team as you want uh <laughs> you know but i mean you know but then there's also the the, the financial aid ramifications there right except for uh, uh the sport of baseball so baseball is unique in that it is the only division 1 sport that has a roster limit you know it's 35 total total student athletes so um, but but you know going back to the to the financial aid piece piece of this, uh, you know the Division One Council also uh, permitted institutions to exempt the financial aid of spring sports student athletes who would have exhausted their eligibility at the conclusion of this academic year for the 2021 uh, academic year. So what that means is is that for those spring sports student athletes who are uh, who would have exhausted their eligibility at the end of this academic year, um, the financial aid they do receive in 2020-21 would not count in their team's financial aid limits. So uh, that is something that the NCAA has, has put in place um, through the Division one Council just to uh, address, the, again, those student athletes who have, who have exhausted their eligibility and do want to return. Um, they can still receive financial aid based on institutional discretion um, and uh, return to compete for one more season.
1: Hmm. Yeah, certainly a lot to think about there uh, Yes, uh, for student-athletes, administrators. um, You know, know, something you might not typically think of as a result of uh, this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Talking with Marlon Edge, who is the Associate Commissioner of Compliance and Governance, Governance for the Western Athletic Conference. Now, Marvin, Marlin. why do I keep calling you Marvin? I've never called you I have no, Marvin uh, you've in my, never done my that be- life. You've never
0: done that before, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Marlin Edge, um, the, the big story before all this, or one of the big things regarding the NCAA, was the name and image likeness uh, changes recently. And I know you, you were uh, able to sit in on, on some of those conversations. So how does that impact the NCAA? How does that impact the WAC?
0: Right. So, yeah, you know, before COVID-19 hit, you know, the, the big ticket item that had everybody's attention nationally was, you know, name, image, and likeness. Right. So um, so what so quick, a quick overview of the name, image, and likeness uh, debate discussion or, or however, however you want to you want to call it. But uh, in October 2019, uh, the NCAA Board of Governors voted to permit student athletes the opportunity to benefit from the use of their name, image, and likeness. Uh, in a manner that is um, how they term it as consistent with uh, the collegiate model, uh, right? So this is something that um, you know over the past couple years or so, uh, the NCAA has has made it a priority to modernize uh, their rules and bylaws to get rid of the old, uh, I guess you know some say archaic uh, rules and bylaws that are that are in the NCAA manual and that govern. Uh, NCAA Division One, and this is uh, in right in line with that modernization of 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 the bylaws and and rules uh, for the NCAA. Now, of course, uh, you know this kind of uh, sparked up with uh, California passing their Senate Bill uh, right. Senate Bill two hundred six, and uh, other states falling in line and, and introducing bills bills of their own. Right, so uh, now to kind of stop the, uh, chaos, I I guess, I guess you could say that that has come from, uh, the potential of, of 34, uh, states enacting their own, uh, uh, bills regarding names and likeness. The NCAA wants to get that under control since as they term it, they're the only organization that is uniquely positioned to modify its rules to ensure fairness and a level playing field. Right. Right. So, uh, now how does that affect student athletes? Well, you know what's going to end up happening when 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 the when the when the rules are put in place is student athletes are now going to be able to uh, benefit financially uh, from the use of their name, images, and their likeness. So they can go out and uh, pursue uh, whether it be you know modeling gigs or 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 or. uh, uh promote their promote uh, their, their, their their lessons that they, they might be given out uh, and be able to use their name and uh, their likeness to promote uh, their their lessons. So overall it's just they'll be able to, to use their name image and likeness uh, in there uh, to promote uh, and to uh, pursue uh, business ventures, uh, both athletically related, business ventures and non athletic related business ventures. So that, that, that's what it really means. And, and, uh, you know, there's going to be a number of student athletes that do benefit uh, from this greatly. Um, and then there's also student athletes who are not going to benefit at all from this, but the opportunity for these student athletes to pursue these opportunities will be out there and it'll be permissible for them to to use their name, images, and their likenesses in their pursuits.
1: Well, Marlon, uh, very, interesting times here thank you for sharing your knowledge of these topics and uh, want to wish you and your family uh, health and hopefully everything's going well and and we'll be seeing you in the office uh, before too long in the next uh, month or two
0: i hope so i hope so eric and 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 likewise to you and your family hope everything's good on your end and look forward to, to 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 seeing you soon sir all
1: right that is marlin edge coming up next we're going to talk to paul coro the senior writer and editor for gculopes.com you're listening to the WAC podcast today's episode of the WAC podcast is presented by Hercules Tires now back to the WAC podcast Eric Danner back with you on the WAC podcast a reminder that Hercules Tires is the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference and for over 65 years has been providing tires with unbeatable quality and unmatched value Whatever the vehicle and whatever the terrain, Hercules Tires invites you to ride on our strength. For a retailer near you, visit Tires.com. And we're now joined by Paul Coro, the senior writer and editor for GCUlopes.com. Paul, how are you doing today?
3: Uh, all things considered, very well. At home uh, with my family and probably driving our dog crazy. He's wondering why he doesn't have the house to himself.
1: Well, Paul, uh, hope everybody's healthy in your family and and at GCU, of course, uh, what are some things uh, that you're doing during the quarantine uh, to keep yourself busy here?
3: Uh, well, working from home has turned out to be uh, still pretty productive, even without uh, people playing. Uh, there's still a lot of stories. I mean, I guess we're a little bit different at GCU in that we just had a major uh, basketball hire and about to make another one. So uh, those kind of create their own content with those coaching stories and helping people get to know those. But also, there's You know, plenty of other uh, more feature type material and uh, a little bit of news here and there. So uh, still trying to keep uh, content going on all all fronts.
1: Talking with Paul Coro and GCU made, uh, you mentioned the big decision uh, right after the uh, WAC basketball tournament was canceled, announcing that Dan Marley would no longer be the head coach and, and not too long after that. Uh, hired Bryce Drew, a guy, a big name, who's coached at uh, several places, had a lot of success. Paul, your take on on what happened there? Uh, I know a lot of people were surprised uh, that uh, uh, Dan Marley w- was let go, but um, uh, Bryce Drew seems to be also a-, a good fit for GCU.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, hard to see Dan go. I've known him for a long time when I covered Suns when he was a broadcaster and assistant coach, and he gets a lot of credit for Launching the Division One era and success and notoriety brought But in Drew, you get, you get a proven NCAA tournament coach. He's been to the tournament three times at two different schools, Valparaiso and Vanderbilt. Uh, Power five, you know, not easy to do that in the SEC in his last stop. And he's a bonafide recruiter. And, uh, you know, you look at his last class at Vanderbilt and uh, ranking nationally in the top 25, you know, Vandy's best class ever. Uh, one guy, Darius Garland's already in the NBA, Another guy guy's probably going to be a, a first-round pick this year out of that. And so he he gets after it, and he's a fit uh, for the Christian mission of the university. And uh, with his his background and the way his family uh, has been at faith-based coaching at faith-based schools, uh, it fits fits the way he operates, the way he runs a program, and wants to raise young men through basketball and and put the the program on a national level.
1: And you had a chance to go out to Tennessee and visit with Coach Drew. I, I know it, uh, it was kind of when all this, you know, craziness with people not traveling shelter in place right around that time. Were, were you already in Tennessee? Did you go out to Tennessee <laughs> specifically to talk to Coach Drew?
3: Yeah, uh, well, it was odd circumstances because uh, obviously everything was starting to happen and there were starting to be more like group parameters put in and more than anything, he's got a family and a young son and uh, traveling was a a concern at the time, especially if there was going to be limited travel. So uh, Josh Hauser uh, and I from the university went out there and uh, so that he could do interviews in lieu of a press conference in a studio. And when you spend a few hours with a guy, you get a pretty real indication (laughs) of who they are. (laughs) You know, we were in a little room and uh, just had a lot of idle time to to chat and did a few stories out of it on some different aspects that were on her side about you know his famous shot at Valpo uh, that always gets brought up this type of year his faith background like we mentioned and how that incorporates him as a recruiter and the introduction to him we did some video one on one interview and but the thing is outside those interviews he never wavered you know in his in his friendliness or his patience and that was a long stretch of interviews and the cramped space with two people he'd had known until that day so uh, I think if there was any time a guy's gonna crack it would have been that day under those circumstances he had brought his niece into the studio with him because she was interested in a in a career uh, similar to that so he wanted to be able to expose her to that type of facility and stuff so that was kind of cool and shows you uh, the family side of him too
1: now Bryce Drew, I don't think, was on the radar, at least on some of the websites that were speculating about who GCU might hire. Uh, obviously, a guy, as we mentioned, with a lot of experience and seems to be a good fit for GCU. But uh, what, when did you find out that he was he was the guy or were, were there some other names uh, floating around? Obviously, the one on the uh, on the rumor mill was Rick Petino who went to Iona. But it uh, uh, seems like uh, Bryce Drew was settled on pretty quickly.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I think a lot of that too is uh, Bryce Drew wasn't affiliated with a college at the time, so his availability to to come out and uh, interview on campus uh, uh, quickly after they started the search uh, was different than most people. But uh, yeah, there was some there was a lot of wild speculation out there. The Rick Pitino thing was interesting. It seemed like because he complimented uh, GCU as one of the best uh, the best crowd environment he'd ever seen, right. as, like that got attached to him and that he that he might be coming to GCU because of that uh but really Bryce Drew you look at it, I mean the way he's had success on the court and the type of person he is for the overall fit and he's it's uh really uh exciting to see how uh, into the idea of GCU he is already um this is a guy who grew up in Indiana a small town and uh, went to Valpo and uh, has been in Nashville so this is a whole new type of uh environment for him but the way he talks about the crowd and uh, some of the players on the team and uh, just the job at hand you know he's had a year out of coaching he worked for ESPN as a studio analyst and a right and a game analyst and he visited a lot of college and NBA programs during that time so I think that uh, burn to coach again and, and be in direct contact and in fact uh, be competitive because there's a little different fire from him when he's in the throes of coaching rather than the the nice guy you see in interviews and uh, but also to affect lives again and have that one-on-one experience with young men. I, he's re- really excited about that.
1: Now, was there any connection with coach Drew and, and either Phoenix or with GCU or, or is this going to be a whole new experience for him?
3: Uh, yeah, not so much. Uh, I mean, I think it was a lot of respect for, for what he's done and the Drew coaching family, um, Jerry Colangelo with his, you know, advisorship with the uh, GCU has some, Uh, relationships obviously in the coaching business uh didn't really know bryce drew uh individually but the homer drew bryce's father uh, is a college basketball hall of fame coach who put valpo on the map Uh, bryce's brother scott has put baylor in the top five nationally he's been there i believe like 17 years or something like that and um so i mean the the drew coaching name is established out there so it wasn't didn't take a lot for him to move to the forefront with the the family pedigree and what he's already established as a head coach uh, the experience at two different schools and he won the missouri valley for the five years he was at valpo before he went to vandy and that first year at vandy guided them to the ncaa tournament and you look at the guys that's still on that vandy team you know saban lee uh who is is actually from the phoenix area was the leading scorer on vandy this year and he mm. was their first recruit
1: and then he had to pretty quickly move to uh, hire a coaching staff because, again, this is kind of an unknown time as far as you know, recruiting and, and trying to retain players or, or bring new players in. So quickly, Bryce Drew uh, named uh, at least three assistant coaches so far.
3: Yeah, that's the thing that was impressive about that batch is just loads of Division One experience on, on uh, and Power Five experience among that group. Uh, Jamal Walker has been at Illinois the past few years and has run their defense. And before that, he was at Ball State in Ohio, and he played college basketball at St. Louis. Uh, you know, Ed Schilling is a name that basketball people know everywhere because he made uh, a, a quick rise from the high school ranks to, to the UMass Final Four teams to John Calipari's New, Jer- New Jersey Nets staff, when you mm-hmm. can still say New Jersey Nets. Uh, <laughs> and the then, Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> uh, but lately, you know, he's, he's been, at, uh, he's been a, a head coach at Wright State, but more recently he was at UCLA in Indiana. And so uh, he was on those that Alford staff that put a lot of guys in the NBA, like uh, Ball and Levine and Kyle Anderson, Kevin Looney. And, uh, so, and he's another Indiana guy. So that's a, a little connection, I'm sure, there for Bryce Drew going back. And, and the biggest connection is his brother-in-law, Casey Shaw, uh, is on the staff. And he was on his uh, Vanderbilt staff as well. Uh, they were actually in the same NBA d- draft together at uh, Bryce was the 16th pick and Casey was the 37th pick. Uh, but Casey Shaw played most of his professional career overseas, had a long successful European career. He's like, and he's a six ten, six eleven guy. So I think Alessandro Laver, the uh, returning lope stars, probably one <laughs> of the most excited people to have somebody that he can look him in the eye and, and work with him <laughs> on the big man stuff.
1: Now, well, um... When we get back to normal, hopefully we get back to normal. Um, obviously, things are going to be different uh, lifestyle-wise, probably for all of us uh, for a long time to come now. But uh, when the Havocs are at GCU Arena and when they uh, pack it in and in October, November next year to see this GCU team, what what's this team going to look like in terms of – you know, the, the system in terms of some of the players who might be back, uh, some new players who, who might be coming in, do you got a a sense for what this team's going to look like next year?
3: Some, I mean, it's very much in flux, obviously, especially with campus visits being on hold. That's always, that's must be a a frustrating position for a new coaching staff to be in when they really want to, you know, have their boots hit the ground and get going. You know, they can't even really get uh, to campus and do the, the crux of their job recruiting. Uh, but it's a you have a good start when you have Alessandro Labor coming back and the freshman of the year Javon Blackshear and an all newcomer guy and Mikey Dixon and uh, I think a huge factor next year will be Gabe McLaughlin. He was uh, a guy who transferred from Southeast Missouri State. He's a local local player from the Phoenix area uh, and he's he's about six eight. Uh, he's got strength. He's got a lot of pop, a little a lot of hop. Uh, he's a really smart, uh, good leader. Uh, he's going to make an instant impact when he joins them, and and the recruiting is well well underway. I mean, we we can't necessarily talk about any fruits of it, but uh, they're they're making they're making dents in it already.
1: Talking with Paul Coro, and as we record this on a Monday, Paul, just want to let people know that because uh, things change very quickly. Nicole Powell uh, announced she was leaving GCU last week. It became the head coach at UC Riverside, which means there's a vacancy for the women's job now. Um, I, I know based on how quickly they moved on the men's coach, uh, it was only a matter of days. Is there a feeling that uh, we're going to have a new women's coach here this week?
3: Yeah, absolutely. They, uh, uh, they uh, moved almost just as fast on uh filling that with a nationwide search. Um, I would think you would see something imminently and probably by the times everybody's listening to this, it'll probably be, be well-known on com. There's a pitch <laughs> for the site because, uh, there was some uh, really impressive candidates. And uh, uh, if everything, all the X's and O's, T's get crossed and I's get dotted, something will be uh, out real soon about somebody really impressive.
1: And there's a team in the, in the GCU women. Uh, they were picked uh, towards the bottom of the league at the beginning of the year, wound up towards the top of the league by the end of the year. At a lot of young players, again, not knowing you know, who's going to stay, who's going to go, but uh, seems to be a pretty good uh, situation for whoever comes in.
3: Yeah, and you know and that's why it's important too to to have somebody come in right away and kind of put those players at ease that there's going to be a, a strong leadership uh, right away because that team last year that was at one point first in the conference wound up tied for second. Uh, they had an eight win improvement over the preseason. They did it with pretty much all freshmen and sophomores. Deja Daniel was a great senior, and uh, it's really a shame that she didn't get her uh, her postseason moment that because uh, she's an amazing story for how far. She's come. She was like a lightly used junior college player two years ago and and became an all whack second team player and top 25 in the nation and rebounding. But um, the rest of the team uh, just grew up uh, before our eyes and Jada Holland wound up being freshman of the year and really leading the team. So uh, the new coach is coming into a great position.
1: Now, the baseball team had already played 18 games, started off nine and nine under uh, head coach Andy Stankiewicz, who's been there for a long time. I know always high hopes for the D.C.U. baseball team. And sometimes that non-conference record isn't always indicative of how good the team might be because uh, they like to load up with so many power five schools in the early going. How did this uh, team look? Did you have a chance to watch them play a little bit? And and what do you think uh, would have been the case uh, had they gone into whack play and, and uh, you know, if, if all this didn't happen and, and we would have been able to play out the season.
3: Sure. That's, that's a heavy sigh when you say that, because it's, it's a true shame with this team. You're right. Nine nine doesn't really say what was going on. I mean, they, they won a series against Oklahoma state to start the year. Uh mm-hmm. They had just, when things ended, they were just on a road trip on a bus, I think between Arkansas and Baylor. They had just lost ten nine at Arkansas, no shame in that. And we're going to play Baylor. And uh, you know, they had, they had the type of team this year set up to be more than just a, a strong conference team because their pitching staff had deepened to the point where those midweek g- games where they schedule against a lot of power schools and Pac-12 schools, uh, they, they had the depth in pitching to handle those better. And they were in the top 25 in the nation in ERA. For a while, the bullpen had a minuscule ERA. Um, everybody was uh, throwing great. And there's an ex-big leaguer, Blake Hawksworth, who had become the pitching coach this season. and. And that all that was with Cuba Best not playing for almost all of it. He was the the best uh, returning hitter on the team, and he was just coming back. And there was a couple of junior college transfers, Juan Colado and Drew Smith, who were uh, doing big things already and proving why that recruiting class was the top thirty in the nation. So uh, that was it's it's too bad to see because they've been such a great whack team already uh, consistently, but they've been dying to take that next. Step uh, into the tournament. They've had teams capable of that, and a couple tough tournaments out in Mesa, and w- where this one was the one that they felt like was really primed for that format because of the pitching.
1: Yeah, that was really a crazy tournament last year with Sacramento State. I think they won six in a row uh, to get to the NCAA's last year, and and GCU was right there as well. Now the NCAA just announced they're they're going to be granting spring sport athletes another year of eligibility. Uh, obviously, that's good news for for a lot of folks. Baseball, it's going to probably impact a little bit more just in the fact that the MLB is also looking at going to a draft format instead of the 40 rounds that they normally have going to a five or 10 round format. And again, not knowing exactly when that might happen, uh, that could uh, present some interesting conversations between uh, uh, players and their parents and, and uh, coach Stankowitz wondering who he might have back and, and who might be coming back. And also the, uh, the crop of freshmen for next year who might've gone into the major league draft because there's so many high school kids that get drafted might be available to be recruited now. So it could uh, uh, be an interesting time to be a baseball coach and a recruiter.
3: Right. Yeah. This this rule affects every sport, but no no sport more than baseball, as you know, because it's just tricky now with the potential massive rosters that you're going to have uh, with uh, draft eligible players and seniors who now might may return uh, in addition to the incoming classes that could be larger than expected, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. and And then the unstated area is that middle ground of classes. You know, the the soft the role players and the sophomores many who are just kind of putting in their time waiting for their chance uh, expecting you know that juniors and seniors might move on and you know that the next year will be their year and so now there's this incredible uh, competition and you know the coaches are are loaded with talent but also loaded with a a, you know a a dicey uh, situation as far as uh, keeping everyone in the roster satisfied with their roles.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. The softball team wasn't off to the the greatest start. Again, a, a team that plays a lot of uh, big-time schools in the early going, uh, but one of the interesting things that would have happened this year uh, was that the softball tournament was moved to GCU, it was originally scheduled to be at Kansas City, and usually that, that that's good news uh, when you can host a tournament, but... Uh, I know this was a team picked near the top of the standings as well. And I know they have to be disappointed that they didn't have a chance to play this season through.
3: Yeah. Having that move to to Phoenix was uh, a welcome uh, change for them because they felt like they really let an opportunity slip through last year in the tournament when they uh, got to the final, uh, final group of three and lost on an extra inning walk-off Homer in the game that would have put them in the championship. But Uh, And then this year's team, you know, had all of its pitching back, but pretty much an all-new lineup. And it was uh, still expected to be strong because of that uh, pitching, but it was kind of mystifying earlier that it hadn't come around. But then right before um, the remainder of the schedule got canceled, it seemed to click a little bit. You know, a lot of the young hitters had started uh, uh, doing better at the plate, and they had just got a no-hitter from Ryan Denhart who was the preseason whack pitcher of the year, uh, their most experienced pitcher, Brianna Aguilar, had just come back uh, after not being able to pitch for much of the early season. So uh, there was upside, and I guess I suppose that upside kind of carries on forward because now all those young players ha- have got a lot of experience in bigger roles.
1: And have another opportunity uh, for some of those seniors to play again next year. Talking with Paul Coro, who is the senior writer and editor for GCU, lopes.com. Paul, uh, you've been uh, you've been in journalism a long time, been in writing a long time. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how you got into journalism originally and, and some of the places you've been?
3: Oh, we got to go way back to the grainy <laughs> black and white images of young Paul Coro. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I grew up in the West Phoenix area, which is uh, ironically around GCU. So I've seen it since its uh, uh, humble beginnings. Uh, and I loved sports I always you know like most kids when uh, especially basketball but when you're when you're 5 eleven with a streaky jump shot you know I kind of realized that I might not make it to the NBA and wanted to find a different avenue so uh, I was an avid reader of of everything at the time and kind of set in my mind to to be a Phoenix Suns writer. and by the grace of God I ended up doing it there's only so many of those jobs in the world I probably should have picked being a heart surgeon or something else if it was gonna (laughs) if I was if I knew I was gonna make it but uh it's been fulfilling I loved it uh especially you know I've worked in San Antonio and in Kansas City but to spend most of my career in my hometown and, and 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 do something that doesn't feel like a job most of the time because you're around sports and uh at all different levels I've covered high schools and colleges and MBA for uh 13 years and uh, and then I came to GCU, and it's just been a, an absolute breath of fresh air in my life. Um, so positive, uh, it's just, uh, just really empowering uh, the people that I work with. And I got a chance to roll all these skills that I acquired over the years into one job. All, all of a sudden, everything uh, that were strengths uh, applied well for. A budding athletic department that was creating its own media, and it's just fun to be part of the team for a change rather than the one on the outside.
1: And part of that, Paul, is not only do you get a chance to be creative and and write features and and do game stories and those kind of things, and and you know get stories, design the website, those kind of things. You're also broadcasting games uh, for GCU, and uh, you get a chance to work with the uh, the great Michael Potter.
3: Yeah, love working with Michael Potter. We're so uh, fortunate as a university to have an alum, uh, a GCU alum as talented and dedicated as he is in that role. And uh, it sort of just came up naturally to do color with him on, on radio for basketball games because uh, I just knew the team so well from, you know, I, what I do is sort of cover it like a like a beat and go to all the games and do features and previews and uh, other types of updates in between. and. So that knowledge and having a chemistry with him, uh, sort of, because we came became friends through being around each other at GCU basketball and baseball a lot. It just made for uh, an, an easy on air transition for me. You know, I had done uh, reporting and been guest on radio and TV over the years, but I hadn't done uh, uh, analyst work, and it just it just sort of came naturally. And in writing, you always are trying to uh, take readers deeper than what they. Then they watched and read in a box score. So it's sort of similar to do that on radio because uh, you're also trying to be descriptive and you're also trying to give another layer. And when I can bring that background that I have of, of the, the players, the coaches, the team trends or whatever, and, and nuances uh, during the game, I think that uh, has lended itself well. And it's a blast for me. Uh, uh, I've really enjoyed it. I feel like it's even uh, maybe a, a better... Uh, reporter of the team too, because uh, I I see some different elements.
1: Yeah, I think as a broadcaster, you when you're watching it live and you have to have something to say at every break that you can, you probably watch the game a little differently than than as a writer. Is that is that correct?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Especially during the breaks, you know I'm. I'm sort of analyzing I still keep a play by play. I can't stop doing that. You know, like as a writer, I've always <laughs> kept a play by play where I, I take notes shorthand. People think it looks like hieroglyphics, but I have something <laughs> about like every single possession of the game because I always say you never know what's gonna be the most important part of the game to detail. And that's benefited me on air because during those time outbreaks I'll look at sort of the you know, where we've come out of and look like, you know, oh, you know, there's this trend, you know, this many you know, drives to the lane in a row, or you know, they've you know take settled for threes this many times, or whatever, and uh, so that's helped a lot. And uh, I just <laughs> I just get a kick out of doing it. And I think I I analyze the box scores a little bit more on breaks, and Michael and I get a chance to talk about it a little bit. It's, it can be dicey because I'm trying to do both jobs simultaneously. Sometimes you know we always try to have a recap of the game up at the buzzer, and between the radio work and t- close games, that gets a little tricky sometimes. And, uh, Michael Potter's been really good about being flexible with me, like post game when we're at home, and you know, I go into the post game press conference while he's wrapping up the game. Uh, um, but on the road, we get a chance to do it together.
1: Well, Michael's a guy we've used for the the WAC baseball tournament for a number of years. He's in the WAC softball tournament. He's in the WAC women's soccer tournament for us, and, and he's a guy. Every time I see him, his hair's different, and. <laughs> I'm wondering, during this this lockdown period, because he's a guy that can pull off the long hair, I'd like to see how long that hair gets, and uh, if he has somebody cut it in-house, or or if he just lets it flow.
3: Yeah, I bet those curly locks are going, yeah. Maybe (laughs) this might create a, you know, he does some acting, he might get some whole new roles on the side out of this, (laughs) because he's going to have this whole new dynamic look, you know, maybe... (laughs) play some uh, biblical characters or something
1: (laughs) or the washed up eighties rocker maybe. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he'll get some uh, Broadway work in school of rock or something.
1: (laughs) Talking with Paul Coro and, and Paul, uh, uh, I I know you mentioned at at the beginning of the interview that uh, you had uh, some features in the can or, or that you're working on a few things. And I know there was a a feature you're pretty excited about uh, coming down the pike here as well.
3: Yeah, you can, Go to gclopes.com and, and see it. it uh, there's a, and this is the type of story that maybe wouldn't get done in a normal type of school year. Cause we'd be so busy with spring sports. Cause it's a, a player that's not even on campus yet. And it's Rylan Zaborowski is a signee that will be joining the Lopes next year for baseball. And what's unique about him is he's just started talking publicly about being on the um, spectrum for autism. And, you know, it's really hard. I've I've spent a little time trying to dig and there's nothing concrete you can find because there's no actual record, but it appears he might be the first, uh, division one letter of intent signee out of high school, uh, Mm. on the autism spectrum disorder for baseball. And there's been other one. There was a guy last year, uh, in basketball uh, that's at Kent State. And there was a lot of stories at the time that he was the first one in division one team sports to come straight out of high school. And there's been other guys who transferred as walk-ons and were given scholarships. There was a Colorado State football player uh, a while back. And so it's kind of here or there. And it's also uh, autism spectrum disorder is a thing that's identified more uh, now than in the past. So there very well could have been uh, several athletes who were either not identified or who kept more quiet about it because it wasn't uh, handled socially as well by other people. So uh, truly, uh, I, I got to say, it's truly inspiring, but not because of uh, my writing, but because of just how hard his parents fought to put him in the best position to be successful. There was uh, times growing up where uh, people didn't want to allow him to be in mainstream education. Uh, they, you know, they thought, you know, the family was using baseball uh, to try to, uh, using his uh, disorder to try to get him on certain baseball teams and everything, and uh, no, people telling him he would never amount to much, basically, and he, now he's a kid with a 3-5 at a local high school in Chandler and, who signed with a Division one program. He could have gone to a bunch of Power Fives, but feels like GCU for his uh, disorder is the best fit for him because it's so welcoming, inclusive. Mm. Uh, with the way Andy Stankwitz has set up that program, and uh, assistant coach Greg Wallace did a great job in kind of helping the family uh, meet everybody on campus that was facilitate his needs. Sorry, that was a really long explanation for one story No, I bit, I, I, actually, I I I look, look, I look forward <laughs>
1: to seeing that that uh, story, Paul. When when can fans see that, and <clears throat> and where can they see it?
3: Yeah, it'll be. A, it's it should be on as as we record. It's being posted on gclopes.com. So anybody listening should be able to go there now and, and see it.
1: Well, that is a great story, Paul, and I uh, want to thank you for taking some time out. This has been a, a very uh, insightful conversation with all the things going on at GCU. Wish uh, we could have got into the spring, but uh, I, that's uh, that's how things go, and uh, everybody's in the same boat here, and And uh, wish you uh, uh, the best of luck for the, the rest of the year, and uh, we hope to see you next fall, Paul.
3: Yeah, we'll, I think we'll be all a little bit more appreciative of, of our, our collegiate athletics lives uh, once they're restored and just wish everybody out there to be, to be safe. And uh, for all those athletes who uh, have to wait their time, uh, we feel for you. We all, we all feel it in our own roles, but nobody uh, has been affected by this more than the students who have this, have this window in their lives.
1: I want to thank our guest today, Paul Coro, senior writer and editor for GCULopes.com. We also had Marlon Edge, Associate Commissioner of Compliance and Governance for the Western Athletic Conference, and Rachel V. Hill, our on air talent and broadcasting coordinator. I want to thank you for listening to the WAC Podcast.
2: Thanks for listening to the WAC Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and check out our website at WACSports.com.